I'm Susan Walner for the Jersey Arts Podcast. Today I'm talking to Jenny Lynn Bader, the author of Mrs. Stern Wanders the Prussian State Library. It's currently playing at Luna Stage in West Orange, New Jersey. Bader is an award-winning playwright whose other works include Mona Lisa Speaks, In Flight, None of the Above, and Manhattan Casanova. She's also co-authored a book titled He Meant, She Meant. Welcome, Jenny Lynn Bader. Thank you for having me. Mrs. Stern Wanders the Prussian State Library is based on an episode in the life of Hannah Arendt, the noted philosopher. Mrs. Stern is her married name. Can you tell me a bit about Arendt and why you chose to dramatize this particular event? Well, Hannah Arendt is an absolutely incredible thinker, and I think arguably the most influential political thinker of the 20th century. And when I say the most influential, it's because she just keeps influencing people, even today. And um, what's really also interesting about her is that when it comes to her biography, people don't really know the things that they should know about her. They know that she had an affair with Heidegger. There was a play about that. They know that there was a lot of controversy when she first published the great work uh, Eichmann in Jerusalem, originally as a series of articles in the New Yorker. And some of the, you know, she invented the term banality of evil. That amazed me because I, I guess I hadn't made that connection before. Yes, and so powerful and so ahead of its time, what what she was saying. And, uh, and initially when she said it, quite controversial and people misunderstood what she was saying and thought she was saying that Adolf Eichmann wasn't evil, but you know, she was talking about the presence of evil in the everyday bureaucrat, the person who is not a convinced ideologue, the person who is just trying to do a good job at their little job. And she was saying, you know, re- evil doesn't always reside in the supervillain with the cape. And we have this preconceived idea of evil that is misleading and it's it's not always where evil can be found and it's a it's a very powerful idea and if you look at the video and transcripts that exist of Eichmann's trial in Jerusalem it's incredible how you know accurate and uh kind of amazingly insightful her description is when you look at them now but at the time it, you know people it was so soon after the war, people couldn't listen to these um, kind of complicated, nuanced arguments and uh, got very upset with her. So what most people know about her you know, interpersonally is, oh, people got upset with her when she published these articles, and oh, didn't she have a thing with Heidegger? And, uh, and then people are familiar with her work. She not only coined the term banality of evil, she coined the, the phrase totalitarianism, she invented the whole idea of thinking about totalitarianism as different from other previous systems of tyranny. If you look at her book, The Origins of Totalitarianism, it's a kind of masterwork on that topic of how you know the Stalinist and Nazi regimes were different than anything that had ever come before. So, and, and those are just you know a few of her works. I and mean, she's she's written an enormous number of books and. Uh, thought through sort of all of the great uh, issues of the 20th century and and also before that, you know, in the whole history of thought and also 
you know, since then, I mean, it, it's amazing. I, I serve on the board of advisors at the, of the Hannah Arendt Center, uh, which my husband founded, so I'm very familiar with, you know, the current Hannah Arendt scholars, but also the people who are not scholars who are still influenced by her today. And it's amazing how if you think of any topic that's being discussed today, she wrote about it. She's obviously such a giant, and, and from what you're saying, her stature is only increasing in the world of philosophy and thought as time goes on. Yeah. But what I love about your play is that she's like this 20, what, 25 or 26-year-old woman who is in this terrible situation and, and how and how you make her so human and so understandable. It's not the big words, it's not the, the, the philosophical concepts. Yes, well, I think that in all of my plays, I try to get beyond stereotypes and beyond conventional ideas and received notions of people and things. And I try to say, oh, you know, you, you think you know um, Hannah Arendt and you think of her as this kind of old woman and this philosopher, well, here's the young Hannah Arendt before she was Hannah Arendt, and look at what she did. And, um, and then in this play, I think I'm also particularly concerned about her legacy, partly because of the way her persona was managed or not managed by her or others, and partly because of sexism. You know, people are more kind of up to date on you know, who she dated or married or, you know, <laughs> right, what, right. How, she, how people got in a fight with her after she published some articles. And they're not, you know, the story of her uh, most kind of heroic moments has kind of gone untold. Getting back to the play specifically, mm-hmm. where it's one room, she, it, why don't you set the scene? Well, it's, 1933, which is a very transitional time in Berlin, and a young woman is thrust into a prison cell. She's obviously nicely dressed, not a typical criminal of that time. It turns out she and her mother were walking down the street and were arrested on their way to lunch. And she's quite young. She's 26, as you say, and the young man who is interrogating her is even younger. And she discovers in the course of the play that the thing that she's accused of doing, which is doing uh, research in the Prussian State Library on anti-Semitic imagery, anti-Semitic flyers, cartoons, and copying those images with a mimeograph machine and sending those images to other countries uh, which was a, a, pro- a big project and an important project at that time in 1933, as you can imagine, has become, through ex post facto law, a capital crime. So she could receive the death penalty or a life prison sentence for having done this. Her interactions with the guard, he's just been promoted to be a political policeman, and this is a new type of crime that he is investigating, which is, you know, the crimes that you were just talking about. But she takes kind of a feminine approach to disarming him. She flatters him. She keeps saying, oh, you're so good at this. Oh, you remember your Latin. In the one hand, you could see it as sort of a, you know, she's trying to flatter him and make him feel good, but she's also treating him as a human being and not retreating into sort of a us versus them interaction. 
And I think that is absolutely true. And it's amazing to me working on this play, how many people have come up to me and told me stories of how a relative of theirs or someone they know got out of Germany or got out of a concentration camp and how they did it through some kind of empathetic relationship with, you know, a sympathetic prison guard or, you know, just one kindly neighbor. You know, it just takes that one person. And uh, this is inspired by real events. And in a an interview that Hannah Arendt gave years later, she is asked about her arrest, and she says, I was arrested by a young man with a kind, open face. Wow. And I made friends with him, and I told him some tall stories. Hmm. Wow. And he let me go. And, and the... Um, I don't want to give away the whole play, but some of the things he says to her uh, at the end are also directly from that interview transcript. And this idea of how she might have befriended him, you know, what that would have looked like was, was really fascinating to me. And by the way, it is another thing that is, is based on real events is the fact that he was promoted that week. And he did say to her, according to this interview, he said to her, you know, last week I was arresting criminals. I knew what to do with them. I looked at the file. But, you know, and it, it would say what to do in this job. It, it's a whole other range of things. You know, the people don't look like criminals. And it's, it's very, um, it's, it's just incredible to think, oh, my God, this poor guy, it's his first week in the new job, and he arrests Hannah Arendt, right? <laughs> and he tells her he doesn't know how to do his new job, and who better to teach him? about judgment than the great philosopher of judgment. You know, this is... <laughs> There's one part early in the play, and I just want to uh, quote from it, if I can. Hannah is speaking and to the guard, and she, she's sort of like letting him know that the tables could be turned because who's in, who's out changes depending on who's in power if, if, they, if you live in that kind of world uh, where the laws can be changed at a moment's notice. And she says, terror begins when the law starts moving from place to place. They keep attacking the law itself, moving the fence, putting a few people outside of it until we get to a point that anyone can be put outside of the fence, whether they're innocent or not. And that just really struck me because that is almost the definition of a totalitarian regime Mm -hmm. in a way. And it is also, I think, why people are responding to this play right now, because we're feeling that we're in a world where what one person believes can be very, very different from what another person believes. Even what is legal versus not legal, what is patriotic versus not patriotic. How much of that came into your thinking when you were writing this play? Well, one of the great questions about when I was writing the play was exactly when to set it, because historians um, and biographies and writers on the period all kind of, they do, there's a little bit of disagreement about exactly the date of her arrest. And when I started to try to figure out that chronology and, um, and figure out when she that the law just kept changing every single week of 1933. You know, they, after, um, you know, the burning of the Reichstag in uh, February and the declaration of martial law and emergency powers, they 
you know, they they made all these laws, and then the next day they would say, oh, yesterday's law doesn't count anymore, and they were they were doing that. They were attacking the law itself because, you know, in the end, only their authority could be trusted because, you know, there were all these contradictory laws. And writing this play while there are these same kinds of slippery laws happening, you know, in our country where people who were legal yesterday are not legal today and these, you know, legal rollbacks and all these, you know, ex post facto declarations, it's it's chilling. So, yes, it was it was definitely on my mind uh, as I tried to figure out the day the play was set and uh, what the implications were for who all the characters are and how the you know the transforming legal landscape can kind of shatter uh, society. You say that you serve on the advisory board of the Hannah Arendt Center for Politics mm-hmm. and the Humanities, and I am just wondering, as somebody who aspires to read her but has not yet, what would you suggest starting with? There are so many great ones. I would say, I mean, I, I think Eichmann in Jerusalem is a classic. You know, Origins of Totalitarianism is, is difficult, but really, really worth reading. Yeah, that's a really good question. There's, there's I, I think different people would give you answers to that question. The, the Hannah Arendt Center also has a virtual reading group, which you can join if you want to oh, really? read one of the works in conjunction with other people reading them around the world. So um, I would suggest checking that out. As a playwright, what do you hope the audience, or what have you found the audience is taking from it? Well, I I mean, I want plays to be transformative for the audience, and I mean, it's 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 complicated because you you know you want to hold the audience, you want to engage them, you want to entertain them, but you also want to have that jaw dropping moment where things are not what they thought they were. And I think uh, when when the audience comes up to me and says, oh, my God, I didn't expect any of that to happen, and did this really happen, and uh, all those questions, it's, it's really wonderful. You know, I didn't actually realize until I had the first public reading of this play, which was over the summer at a theater called Urban Stages. They have a, a reading series, and, and Ari Kreef, who's the artistic director of Luna Stage, directed the very first public reading of the play there in August. And during the play, and people came up to me afterwards and said I was in so much suspense. And I thought, well, how is that possible? I mean, not, I mean, obviously, maybe half the audience hasn't heard of Hannah Arendt, but people were saying this who were, you know, either Hannah Arendt scholar or had read several books by Arendt and were very familiar with the fact that she had survived 1933 very well. And one of my, my friends said to me, I know, it's crazy. I turned to the person I, I was, you know, sitting next to, and I clutched her arm, and I, I said, How, why am I so upset? I know what's going to happen. Why am I so worried? <laughs> but, Interesting. But somehow there's a suspension of disbelief thing that happens in theater where you suddenly don't even know what you know anymore, you know? And so even people who do know she's going to survive are, are both worried about how she's going to survive and somehow they're also worried about whether she's going to survive and I cannot explain how that happens. 
it's a fascinating story and I think a, an amazing introduction to her as a, as a person, as a thinker, and to a moment in this strange time that she lived through. So thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me about this. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Jenny Lynn Bader is the playwright of Mrs. Stern Wanders, the Prussian State Library, now playing at Luna Stage in West Orange through November 17th. Visit lunastage.org for tickets. I'm Susan Walner for the Jersey Arts Podcast. Thanks for listening. The Jersey Arts Podcast is made possible by the New Jersey State Council on the Arts, supporting excellence and engagement in the arts since 1966.